third thing. If I'm going to worship you, worship God as the foundation of my relationship with you, then I must worship Him also as Savior. This has to do with your growth in grace. I would ask you this this question this morning. What do you do when your husband or wife sins? What do you do when you wake up and they're just having a bad day? And they're irritable and impatient. What do you do when they're struggling to forgive? What do you do when they're impatient and demanding? What do you do when they sin against you? Do you throw their sin back in their face? Do you tell them that you're more righteous than they are? Or do you do what your Savior does with you? Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. God will never put me down. He'll never mock me. He'll never use my weakness against me. He'll never publicly embarrass me. He'll never get frustrated and slam the door and walk away. He's always gracious. He's always patient. He's always gentle. He's always forgiving. He's always kind. Do you look at your husband or wife and quietly wish that God were doing a better job? That if you just speed up the process a little bit so they'd get a little more holy, it surely would make life easier? Or do you rest in the wisdom of His grace? Take this moment. You know why you're in this room? Grace. You know why you're in this room today? Wise grace. God gives you what you need at just the moment you can receive it. You know one of the final things Jesus said to his disciples was? There are many more things I'd like to tell you, but you're not able to bear them. This is the world's best teacher, but he knew that they'd had enough. Do you understand that when Jesus was ascending, the disciples were still, ask, were still asking dumb questions? Do you know that? I would have stopped the cloud and said, forget it. You guys just, you're not getting it. Now here's what this means. You must understand in God's good wisdom, change is a process and not an event. Change is a process and not an event. 
Worshiping God as Savior is finding joy in that long process of change that He's working in you and working in your spouse. It's not demanding that that process be an event. So, it's living with a process mentality. Here's the second thing. It means I want to be an instrument in that process. I don't want to stand demanding like this. Look up here. Waiting for the process to get to the point where now I'm satisfied. I jump into the process. I want to be an instrument in God's hands. How can I be part of what God is doing in your life? How can I incarnate His love? How can I incarnate His wisdom? How can I incarnate His grace? How can I be a tool of change in your life? Not demanding change. Not threatening you into change. Not guilting you into change. Not manipulating you into change. But a wholesome, loving, gracious instrument of change in your life. Listen. If you're celebrating the grace of the Savior, you will be gracious in the face of the failure of your spouse. Because how could I celebrate the grace that I've been given and not offer that grace to you as well? Now I would ask you, are you worshiping God as Creator? Celebrating His marvelous design that's so apparent in the hardwiring of your husband or your wife? Are you celebrating His work as sovereign? You just love the story He wrote for that person and the, the cultural kinds of instincts that they have brought to your life that have expanded your world, have enhanced you, and caused you to worship God even more. And are you celebrating His work as Savior. Understanding His timing is always right. Understanding that you're part of a process that will produce wonderful results. Committing yourself to be part of that process. Or have you put down your husband or wife for choices they didn't make? Have you rejected their story wanting yours to dominate? And have you been irritated that God hasn't advanced the process quicker and made them more holy than they, they are now? A marriage of unity and understanding love is rooted in worship of God as Creator, worship of God as Sovereign, worship of God as Savior. Now I want to end these two ways. 
Let me first tell you four things that will happen if you're not doing what we've talked about today. These will invariably happen. First, you will turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. You will turn moments of service and ministry into moments of anger. If God ever reveals to you the sin and weakness and struggle of your husband or wife, it's never an accident. It's always grace. God loves you both. He's brought you to Himself. He's put you in a relationship of faith. And He's done that so that you would continue to grow in your love of Him and your love for one another. And in that grace, He will reveal weakness so you can be part of His work of change. You'll turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. Second thing, you'll do this because... You'll personalize what is not personal. You'll personalize what is not personal. You'll make it all about you. I can't believe you do this to me. I can't believe you'd say this to me. When it's not personal at all. Your wife doesn't get up in the morning and say at 7.35 this evening, I'm going to irritate my husband. Yeah, that's what I'll do. It doesn't work that way. It's not personal. Third, because you've turned a moment of ministry into a moment of anger and you've personalized what is not personal, you'll be adversarial in your response. You'll be adversarial in response. It will not be you for him or you for her. It will be you against him and you against her. Because you're angry because this person is in the way of what you want. And finally, you'll settle for quick situational solutions that don't get at the heart of the matter. You'll settle for quick situational solutions that don't get at the heart of the matter. You'll walk away. You'll curse the person with silence. You'll say angry or condemning words. You'll tell them you're never going to do this again. But you won't get at the heart of the difficulty that's going on. Moments of ministry, moments of anger, because you personalize what is not personal, your adversarial response, and you settle for quick situational solutions that don't get at the heart of the matter. Well, what does this all look like at the most practical of levels? Well, let me share a scenario with you. Let's say you're in this place in your marriage where wife, you're a stay-at-home stay mom, you have three children, and you're living the life of a homemaker. Your husband works outside of the home and 
You've agreed that the one nice family time you can manufacture in all your busyness is the dinner meal. And uh, as a man, you're, you look forward to that meal. That's sort of the highlight of your day, that, that wonderful home-cooked meal. Often days you can smell the smells as you're driving home, anticipating the meal. And as you got ready to go to work that, that uh, morning, you noticed a beautiful beef roast shrink wrap sitting on the counter. And you began already to have beefological dreams. You, you were thinking of the glory of the roast that was coming. And you sort of thought about it all day long and you're, you're thinking about that beautiful gravy coursing over the edge of those mashed potatoes. And just that tenderness of that, that beef and you're just so thankful. As you're driving home, you actually think three or four miles from home, you smell the smells. You drive into the driveway and you open the door, it doesn't smell so nice. It smells a little bit toasty. And you, you begin to smell smells that are more burnt uh, than you'd like to smell. And the family gets called to the table. And as you're sitting down, your wife, mumbling her embarrassment, puts a burnt roast on the table. And it's more charcoal briquette than beef. <laughs> and you look at her and you say, are you kidding me? I mean, think about this. I don't ask much from you. About all I, I really ever ask of you is one decent meal a night. You think you could pull that off for me. Like, what did you do today that would make this one thing so difficult? What if I showed up and said, sorry, I don't have a paycheck this week? I do and I do for you and this is the thanks I get? You actually expect me to eat this? Now what's going on in the heart of that woman at that moment? Is her heart filled with love for this man? Does she want to move toward him? Does she want to entrust herself to him? Absolutely not. Wind back the scene. Same things. Seeing the roast early in the morning. Thinking about it all day long. Driving home, smelling the smells. You come in the door. The smells you were imagining are not the smells you're smelling. Your wife, in an act of embarrassment, mumbling an apology, puts this burnt roast on the table and you grab her hand and you say, don't apologize. You have loved us so much. You have given us so many things. 
Every day you exhaust yourself doing things for this family. If all I have to deal with is an occasional burnt roast, I'm a man that's deeply blessed by God. I love you. It's okay. What's happening in the heart of that woman? She's running toward that man. And she's running toward her God because she's thinking, I can't believe how much God loves me that He would put this man in my life. That's the kingdom of God. That's how it operates. That's how it speaks. That's what it does. And everyone in this room needs to say, Your kingdom come. Your will be done right now in my marriage as it is in heaven. Because, Lord, there's only hope for us if Your kingdom comes to our marriage. Because we need to be freed from our selfish little kingdoms of one. A marriage of unity, understanding, and love is not rooted in romance. It's rooted in worship. Listen, that man's worship of God that causes gentleness toward his wife produces what? Romance. Because she's feeling romantic at that moment. She wants to run toward that man. She wants to be in his arms. She wants to spend time with him. Because he loves God. He realizes the blessing of his life. And so in crucial moments, he loves his wife. And the result is unity and love and understanding and sweet romance. Romance is not a root. Romance is a fruit. The root is worship. Now hear this. Only God can put that in your heart. And what you have to do is you have to start by saying, I'm not there. I do criticize little important things. I do demand things that I shouldn't demand. I do judge my husband or wife more by the laws of my kingdom than the laws of God's kingdom. Oh God, won't you give me that worship of you as creator, worship of you as sovereign, worship of you as savior that results in gentleness and sweetness and kindness toward my wife or my husband. God, I want to be that man who can look at a burnt roast and speak with that kind of love. God, I want to be a woman in that day when my husband is doing the worst. Where I don't tell him I don't need this. Where I move toward him with affection and grace. Marriage 
of unity and love and understanding is not rooted in romance. It's rooted in one thing and one thing alone. The worship of God. Our problem is not that we don't love one another enough. Our problem is that we don't love God enough. And because we don't love God enough, we don't love one another as we should. Let's pray. Lord, how amazed we are at your love. How amazed we are at the wisdom of your word. How thankful we are for your grace. It's right for us to say that we love you. But we would want to say as well that the deepest, fullest, most expansive joy in our hearts is because we have been loved by you. Lord, I pray that our hearts of worship would produce hearts of love. Patient, giving, tender love. That we would live out that love, that self-sacrificing love that's for the good of others, that doesn't demand reciprocation or demand that the person is deserving. May the harvest of that be unity, be understanding, be love, be sweet romance. For the sake of your people, for the furtherance of your kingdom, for the sound of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.